This morning we're going to consider, for God so loved the world, I read that in verse 16 there, for God so loved the world. Tucked away in the Old Testament prophecies, we'll have to go back over 700 years in time to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet of Israel. And when we look at his prophecies in his book, we read in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And again, let me just say to you that Isaiah said these things over 700 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He said, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. He was speaking in the present tense. Such was the certainty of what would happen over 700 years later. In order to understand something is that of what is meant by those words, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, we shall have to move on 700 years uh, to John's Gospel in the New Testament year and gain an understanding of what it was that the prophet Isaiah was actually saying. Let's have a look again at John chapter 3, verse 16. Because he also speaks about the giving of a son. We can join the dots between Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, join the dots to John chapter 3 and verse 16, over 700 years later, where we read, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 16 there, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son. In those words we see that the son that is given is the only begotten son of God. What does that mean? That he is the only begotten son of God. When you see the term only begotten son in the Apostle John's writings, it is clearly a a reference to the very unique Sonship of the Lord Jesus Christ to God. Unique in the sense that he is himself God. That Jesus is the eternal Son of God. That term Son of God, it can be given to anyone who believes in Jesus. Indeed, those who receive Jesus and believe on his name, to them gave he the power, the great privilege of becoming sons and daughters of God. And even the angels in heaven are referred to as sons of God. But with Jesus, we see that he is the only begotten son of God. He is unique because he is the eternal son of God. For example, I'm just going to turn back to John chapter 1 
And I'll try and show you what I mean here. John chapter 1 and verse 14. Now, when I read this, just think for yourself, who is it that John, the apostle, is speaking about here? In John chapter 1, verse 14, And the word was made flesh, or became flesh, and dwelt amongst us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I don't think that's a difficult one to answer. Who is John speaking of there when he says the word was made flesh, became flesh and dwelt among us? And there we have it again. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Who is he talking about there? Jesus, is he not? Jesus, the Word, was made flesh. He became flesh. Okay. Well, that verse that I've just looked at with you, verse 14, it it follows on from verse 1. Let's remember that John is referring to Jesus as the Word in verse 14. He calls him the Word, and he says the Word was made flesh, and that he is the only begotten of the Father, And then when we look up to verse 1, what do we see about the Word? It says in verse 1, In the beginning was the Word. There we have it again, the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Can you see that there? In the beginning was the Word. This is the Word that was made flesh or became flesh. The only begotten of the Father. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It could not be clearer, could it? The one we're talking about here and considering, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The only begotten Son of the Father, he is himself God. This is what we need to understand very clearly. So, coming back to John chapter 3 and verse 16, where it is written, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. We know, we know from looking at verse 1, rather chapter 1 of John's Gospel, God did not send a created angel from heaven. He gave his only begotten Son who is himself God, manifest in the flesh. God, who became flesh. God, who was made flesh. That's worth hanging on to as we continue. But before we consider, continue to consider this, let's open our hymn books again. And we'll turn to 189. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. And in verse 2 there, it says very clearly, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, speaking, of course, of Jesus, who is God manifest in the flesh. 
Hymn 189. again at John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I'm reading it from the Bible but I don't need to. That's a verse I know off by heart and I'm guessing that I'm not the only one in here who knows that verse of scripture off by heart. It's probably one of the first verses that the Christians in here ever memorised and it just rolls off the tongue. The great reformer, German reformer, Martin Luther, he called John chapter 3 and verse 16 the miniature gospel, miniature gospel. And he said that it is a verse in which the whole Bible is contained. That's quite a statement to make, isn't it? A verse in which the whole Bible is contained. 
I don't think I dare to, to say anything like that. It is without doubt a great verse of scripture. There's no doubt about it at all. And if you were to go into my study behind me, you'd see on the wall, John chapter 3, verse 16. It's been there on the wall for a good few years now. But I would say that that verse of scripture does not stand alone, as great as it is. Look how it starts, for example. There's that little word for, isn't there? For God so loved the world. And what does that word for cause us to do? Does it not cause us to look above John chapter 3 and verse 16, to look at what precedes it? And let's just do that then. We have, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Who, we have seen, is God manifest in the flesh. He is the eternal Son of God. But if you want to know what the giving was all about, because it doesn't really tell us what that giving is, there's no explanation in John chapter 3 and verse 16 what it actually meant for God to give his Son. And to, to understand that, we would have to look up to the previous verses, most certainly to verses 14 and 15, which we shall do after our next hymn. Open your hymn books and let's turn to 206. Sing, O sing, this blessed morn, unto us a child is born. 206.
So, we've seen that as great, as wonderful as John chapter 3 verse 16 is, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That verse does start with that little word for, which causes us to look above it. We're going to do that now. Let's have a look at verse 15. Verse 15. Sounds, it looks familiar to me. Sounds familiar. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's familiar, isn't it? Why would that be, I ask? Could it be because it is the same as the second part of verse 16? Look at the two there. Again, verse 15, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then the second part of verse 16, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, let's see now. There is only one difference in my Bible. Verse 15, we have eternal life. Verse 16, we have everlasting life. But guess what? The Greek word is the same for both of them. So, verse 15, second part of verse 16 are the same. As for verse 14, it's not the same as the first part of verse 16. That would be too easy, wouldn't it? Look look at the first, look at verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And then the first part of verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. They're different, aren't they? The thing is, though, that verse 14, though it's not the same as the first part of verse 16, it does explain it to us. It explains us. It tells us what it meant for God to give his only begotten Son. That is given to us, that explanation in verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. There's mention of Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness. This is where we have to do a bit of a... I don't expect everyone to start flicking through the pages of the Bible. Please do if you want to. Otherwise, just listen carefully to what I'm saying to you. But verse 14, it does speak about Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness. And remember, we're seeking to understand what it meant for God to give his only begotten son. Well, Moses lifting up a serpent in the wilderness, that's that's something that happened 1,500 years before Jesus came into the world, before Jesus was made flesh or became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And clearly that serpent being raised up by Moses has got something to do with helping us in our understanding
what happened was, if you go back 1,500 years before Jesus was born, the Israelites, perhaps two million of them, no one really knows, but certainly a sizable number of people, the children of Israel, they were suffering terrible affliction in Egypt. And God delivered them with an outstretched arm by his power, almighty God, uh, delivered them out of their bondage in Egypt. You know the story, at least I guess you do. God separated the Red Sea. He turned it into a corridor for the children of Israel to pass through. I always find that amazing, and especially so since my wife and I, we were at the Red Sea just a couple of weeks ago. In fact, I went snorkelling in the Red Sea. And um, when I look at the Red Sea, I just think of Almighty God separating it. And you needn't think of the Red Sea as being like a little lake. It's big. It's big. And yet God separated it. And the, the, the children of Israel, again, perhaps two million of them, led by Moses, they went through on dry land, through that corridor that God had made for them in the Red Sea. And then the sea closed up on Pharaoh and his army and their chariots and they perished in the Red Sea. But as for the Israelites, they continued into the wilderness and God led them by day in a pillar of cloud and by night he led them in a pillar of fire. He thought of everything and he met their needs. For example, they had shoes that never wore out. Who would have thought of that? God did. They had bread from heaven, water that came out of a rock. All of everything was supplied by Almighty God. Still they murmured. They murmured against Moses. Most seriously of all, they murmured against God, who had delivered them out of their afflictions in Egypt. So that's the, that's the background to that. And then when we, go, when we look at um, the book of Numbers in the Old Testament, this is what it says in Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through to 9. They, that's the children of Israel, they journeyed f- from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. They were moaning about the bread from heaven that was given to them. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, 
Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten when he looketh upon it shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man when he beheld the serpent of brass he lived. Do you get the picture there? All those moaning Israelites, moaning against God and against Moses. So, so God sends these serpents uh, that going between the people, biting them. They're venomous, they're killing the people. The people are being punished because they dared to complain and to moan against their deliverer, Almighty God. Even so, God was merciful and his instruction to Moses was to, to raise up a brazen serpent, a brass serpent, on a pole. And anyone who looked up to that serpent survived. He did not die. He did not perish. As Moses lifted up the serpent upon a pole in the wilderness, and all who looked upon the serpent lived, About 1,500 years later, the incarnate Son of God was lifted up upon a wooden cross. And whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Just look at verse 14 again in John chapter 3. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So, you see, that God giving his only begotten Son entailed Jesus being lifted up to die on the cross, being given as a sacrifice for sin. We've already considered one little word, for, for God so loved the world. And that made us look at the previous two verses. What it meant for God to send his son. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. Lifted up upon that cross. Nailed to a cross. Lifted up to die. We've seen that. But there is another little word in John Chapter 3, verse 16. Another one apart from 4. We don't have to look far to find it. For God so loved the world. God didn't just love the world. He so loved the world. That little two-letter word, so. And we should not overlook that little word. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. When you consider that God gave unto us his only begotten son to be lifted up upon a cross as a sacrificial lamb who took away the sins of the world, that little word so elevates the love of God to the highest level. In fact, there's no greater manifestation of love than what can be seen at the cross. The only begotten Son of God being lifted up upon a wooden cross. 
and laying down his life as the only acceptable sacrifice for sin, having been sent into the world by his Father. I say this time and time again, and I say it with absolute certainty that I'm right. I challenge anyone in here to tell me of a greater manifestation of love than what we see at the cross. The Son of Man, the only begotten Son of God, being lifted up to die on a cross as the only acceptable sacrifice for sin. There is no greater act of love in the whole of history. We listen to songs about love. People have all sorts of interesting things to say about love. You love people, people love you and so on. But none of it even begins to compare with the love of God for a fallen world, a sinful world. For God so loved the world that he sent, he gave his only begotten son. This is the wonder of the Christian faith. Truly amazing. And, you know, I I think of various Christian cults who, such as the various people that would ring on your doorbell and seek to engage you in conversation from a certain cult. And I always want to get to the point, cut to the chase, because when it comes down to it, their Jesus is not my Jesus. Their Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible. Their Jesus is not the only begotten Son of God. God who was made flesh and dwelt amongst men and who was lifted up to die on a cross. And the blood of the incarnate God was poured out at that cross. Their God, I mean their Jesus, these people who might knock on your door from time to time from a certain cult, Their Jesus is nothing more than an angel. They completely missed it. This is so wonderful. No, so wonderful. I I can't help saying that word now. For God so loved the world. And we see why. Because he sent his only begotten son who was lifted up to die on a wooden cross. Let's open our hymn books to 231. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. 231. Thank you. 
Looking at John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. When it comes to the gospel of Christ and salvation from sin, we need to have an understanding of what The world means here in verse 16. We see it there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We need to understand what that world means just as we do when we look at John chapter 1 verse 29 where John the Baptist heralded the coming of Jesus with the words, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. John the Baptist said that world, just as we read the world in John chapter 3, verse 16. What does it mean when we read the word world? The world does not mean every single person who has ever lived in the world. We can be sure about that. But it does mean all the people from across the world, throughout all ages, even before God was manifest even in the flesh, long before Jesus was born of a virgin in Bethlehem. People from throughout all ages across the world who have believed that he, the only begotten Son of God, was lifted up to die, bearing away their sins. So it's people from throughout the world. The world embraces all who, with repentant hearts, have acknowledged their sin. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, we're told in Matthew's Gospel. Why is that? Because he shall save his people from their sins. His people, people from throughout the world, not all the people, His people, people who, as I say, have acknowledged their sin before God. People who have acknowledged their complete and total inability to save themselves. People who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, to cleanse them from all their sins, to reconcile them to God by his shed blood and by his sacrificial death, having perfectly, he having perfectly kept the demands of God's law on their behalf. 
people from throughout the world who are trusting in Jesus in life and in death. This is what is meant by the world. They are the ones to whom God has given his only begotten son. They look upon him by faith. Their trust is in him and so too is their hope of heavenly glory. With the faith that they have comes a certain hope. Not a keep my fingers crossed and hope for the best type hope. A certain hope that when they die, they will go to be with Jesus, the one who was lifted up to die, the one who was given by God the Father. They will go to be with Jesus. They will behold his glory, which is infinitely better than anything they have in this world. It's a wonderful hope. It's a hope that is the preserve of those who have looked up to Jesus, the one who was lifted up to die on the cross. And they've trusted in him and him alone for their acceptance before God. They are the ones who should not perish, but have everlasting life in Christ Jesus, their risen and highly exalted Saviour their Lord and their God. What about you? We read these as we close now. We're finishing. You look at verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his son who is himself, God manifest in the flesh, that whosoever believeth in him. So that's not everybody. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Alternatively, if you look at the other side of this, look at verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned. That's because they have everlasting life. They've been reconciled to God. They know God as their Father, Jesus as their Saviour and their Lord. That's why they're not condemned. Their sins have been dealt with once and for all time at Calvary's cross. There's another little word here, but, in verse 18, but he that believeth not, he that believeth not in the Son is condemned already because he have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world. Jesus, who is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Where are you in all of this? Are you the one who loves the darkness rather than the light because your deeds are evil? Or look at verse 36. The last verse in John chapter 3. He that believeth on the Son, this is the Son whom God has given, have everlasting life. Praise God for that. My sins are forgiven. As far as east is from the west, so far have my sins been sent. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life shall not see life. 
but the wrath of God abideth on him. Now that's you, dear friend. If you have not believed in the Son of God, you shall not see life. That tells me that you're not really living at the moment. And I know that from my past, from before I trusted in Jesus, I wasn't living. Okay, I had the good times, the bad times. I had a moment's pleasure here and there. But I wasn't really living. I was, I said it earlier, existing from day to day, but not really living. That is you if you are not trusting in the only begotten Son of God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that he was lifted up to die on the cross, bearing away your sins in his body. Believe that your depravity was laid upon him at the cross. You will receive forgiveness for your sins. You will have everlasting life. You will have a hope that reaches up to heaven. Amen. Let's finish with 399. The gospel of thy grace my stubborn heart has won. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. 399.
Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Amen.